0: Loving Father in heaven, glory be unto your name for your mercy and love bestowed upon us. We know it is not because of our righteousness or holiness, neither is it because of our goodness or faithfulness to you, but it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed and your compassions fail not, for they are new every morning and great is your faithfulness and today we are partaking of the faithfulness of our Lord in giving us life. Father in heaven, we want to be an instrument of glory to your name. We bring ourselves to you and we ask that you will consecrate us to your service, Lord. We pray, Father, for power from above, that we may be lights shining to the world. That as we receive the light from your word now, that we shall internalize it and be given the power and grace to reflect the light to the world. Please, Lord, put your words in my mouth and grant to your children who are listening the abundance of the gift of the Holy Spirit that will bring about a transformation in their lives and that will make these words that are spoken to mean something in their lives. Therefore, Lord, I pray for your Spirit also upon me that you will put those words in my mouth. to Be a blessing to all who listen. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage April 15 From Grave to Glory I besought the Lord at that time, saying, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain and Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes, and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice thee, Speak no more unto me of this matter. Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 23 to 26 Never till exemplified in the sacrifice of Christ were the justice and the love of God more strikingly displayed than in his dealings with Moses. God shut Moses out of Canaan to teach a lesson which should never be forgotten that he requires exact obedience and that men are to beware of taking to themselves the glory which is due to their Maker. He could not grant the prayer of Moses that he might share the inheritance of Israel, but he did not forget or forsake his servant. The God of heaven understood the suffering that Moses had endured. He had noted every act of faithful service through those long years of conflict and trial. On the top of Pisgah, God called Moses to an inheritance infinitely more glorious than the earthly Canaan. Upon the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses was present with Elijah, who had been translated. They were sent as bearers of light and glory from the Father to his Son. And thus the prayer of Moses, uttered so many centuries before, was at last fulfilled. He stood upon the goodly mountain within the heritage of his people. Moses was a type of Christ. God saw fit to discipline Moses in the school of affliction and poverty before he could be prepared to lead the hosts of Israel to the earthly Canaan. The Israel of God, journeying to the heavenly Canaan, have a captain who needed no human teaching to prepare him for his mission as a divine leader. Yet he was made perfect through sufferings. And in that he himself had suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 and verse 18. Our Redeemer manifested no human weakness or imperfection. Yet he died to obtain for us an entrance into the promised land. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the people firm unto the end, Hebrews chapter three, verse five and six. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is "From Grave to Glory." And we read our key text from Deuteronomy chapter three, verse 23 to 26, which were some of the last words of Moses before he died. As we have been looking at the life of Moses, we have been looking at the lives of one of the most illustrious and greatest and most intelligent men and I will say also spiritual men who have ever walked the face of this earth and there is a lot to learn from his life and we have been hearing it but I pray that we are learning not just hearing that is that we are imbibing these lessons opening our hearts to receive them into us and putting into practice all that we have learned from his illustrious life. Before the death of Moses, I want us to look into the death of Aaron also. we left off in our devotion with the Lord telling Moses and Aaron with good reasons that they will not enter into Canaan because of the sin that they had committed. In the irreverence they showed towards God, also trying in their words giving the impression that they were taking the place of God and not on this, not giving the people the impression that God was their leader but giving the people the impression that they were the ones that were the leaders. For the sake of coming generations and the immediate generation before Moses and Aaron, the Lord had to ensure that their act of sin didn't go unpunished, that it may be an example to the rest of Israel and that they may know that God was actually the leader and not Moses and Aaron so that it will not cause an anarchy in Israel the Lord had, the Lord had to uh, punish Moses and Aaron Aaron not long after that day had to experience death Numbers chapter 20 verse 22 reading down to verse 29 tells us of this account it says and the children of Israel even the whole congregation journeyed from Kadesh and came unto Mount Hor and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the coast of the land of Edom saying Aaron shall be gathered unto his people for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel because he rebelled against the word against my word at the water of Meribah Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them up unto Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son and Aaron shall be gathered unto his people and shall die there. And Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up into Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son, and Aaron died there in the top of the mount. And Moses and Eleazar came down from the mount, and when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, They mourned for Aaron 30 days, even all the house of Israel. Wow, a very sad ending to a life that was lived, yeah, with its ups and downs, but with faithfulness to God. Nevertheless, Aaron finally died at the age of 123 years. For 40 years, he had been ministering for the Lord since the day they came out Uh, The Lord called them to go to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh. Forty years had gone since then and now his ministry came to an end. Reading from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 425, paragraph 3, it says, uh, something that will help us to understand that Aaron and Moses had a very important quality which we also should have and that is, when we have done wrong, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. That's what we are told don't despise it embrace it and do not murmur and they showed an example of that when the children of Israel were told that they were not going to enter Canaan how did they behave Korah, Dathan, Abraham, Abiram what did they do they rebelled how about that same day they wanted to kill Joshua and uh, Caleb the next day some of them still rebelled against the Lord they were always offended but here is an example of accepting the judgment of the Lord Moses and Aaron were dished out the same punishments that the children of Israel who had died. The adults from 20 years, 20 years upward, they had died. The same punishment that, were given to, that was given to them was given to Moses and Aaron. And how did these men take it? They took it like children of God. They took it like sons of God because a son will not despise his father's chastisements. Patriarchs and prophets page 425 paragraph 3 says, no rebellious feelings found a place in their hearts. No expression of murmuring escaped their lips. Yet a solemn sadness rested upon their countenances as they remembered what had debarred them from the inheritance of their fathers. End of quote. And this is our own example, brothers and sisters. We read the word of God, telling us that when we do wrong, we will get the consequences. Sometimes we know that when we get sick, it can be attached. To some sin that we have committed perhaps you've gone against health reform or you did something that you know was wrong and when you are sick you remember these things despise not doubt the chastening of the Lord some people want to act like they are so heavy sins when they are sick or when evil things happen to them and they want to blame this person or blame that person blame somebody in their uh, one of their relatives blame somebody in the family why go through all of that Here were people, Moses and Aaron, who directly knew that were it not to be for what the children of Israel did, they would not have done what they did. But you don't don't see them blaming anybody. They took the chastisement of the Lord like children of God. And they did not excuse their sin and say it is because of the children of Israel that we did what we did. If it was not your fault, we would have made it. And then get angry with the people and get angry with God. We learned the lesson despise not doubt the chastening of the Lord has the Lord permitted you to lose something dear to you because you know very well that you also have sinned against the Lord Murmur not do not complain accept whatever happens to you do you not understand that nothing happens to you except by God's permission do you think that the things that are happening to us in our lives are being controlled by the devil that is not what the Bible teaches even Job himself When he got sick, the Bible made us understand that it was the devil who did it but you don't see him mention the devil's name. The devil wouldn't have done anything to Job had the Lord not permitted it. Nothing that happens to us happens except by God's permission. I repeat, there is nothing that happens to you. Your sickness, your loss of job, even if you can see a human agent who was involved in it like in the case of Job, there were human agents involved. The Arabians went and killed his servants and took all his flock. There were human agents involved, the Sabaeans went and killed his servants and took his camels or other parts of his cattle. Humans were involved but you don't hear Job say, it is these people who did it to me. You don't hear Moses and Aaron say the same thing. That which humans were involved in, the Lord's hand was also in it. Joseph knew this and said to his brothers, You thought to do me evil, but it was the Lord who permitted it that I should save life. We should have this mindset. Regardless of the human instrumentalities that get involved in the evil things that happen to us or that cause us to to sin, let us not look at the human agent. If the Lord is chastising us or has permitted certain things to happen to us, let us take it cheerfully, take it manfully like children of God, knowing that the Lord is is doing what is good. As Moses and Aaron were climbing Mount Hor with Eleazar, they must have recounted the lessons and the times they have walked together and all the blessings that the Lord has been pleased to give to them. They were not dwelling on their loss, but they were dwelling on the goodness of the Lord. And that is a lesson for us too. Aaron finally went up. The Lord had given him a good and an honorable position which he had um, executed the duties of that position for the years that they were in the wilderness and it was now that it was time for him to die. Reading from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 426, paragraph 2 it says, With deep sorrow Moses removed from Aaron the holy vestments and placed them upon Eleazar, who thus became his successor by divine appointment. For his sin at Kadesh Aaron was denied the privilege of officiating as God's high priest in Canaan, of offering the first sacrifice in the goodly land, and thus consecrating the inheritance of Israel. Moses was to continue to bear his burden in leading the people to the very borders of Canaan. He was to come within sight of the promised land, but was not to enter it. Had these servants of God, when they stood before the rock at Kadesh, borne unmurmuringly the test there brought upon them, how different would have been their future. A wrong act can never be undone. It may be that the work of a lifetime will not recover what has been lost in a single moment of temptation or even thoughtlessness." End of quote. And that's another lesson one would say punchline that we can take with us from today's devotion. A wrong act can never be undone. It may be the work of a lifetime like that of Aaron and Moses will not recover what has been lost in a single moment of temptation or even thoughtlessness and that was what happened to them a single moment of temptation and thoughtlessness made them do something that there was nothing that could undo it nothing could undo it that wrong act could never be undone the impression was already made and we should be careful ah this is why it is important to have self-control even as much as Moses had self-control, he lost it once. We need to pray for the Lord to grant us self-control. Have you looked at your life as I'm looking at mine now? And I'm seeing myself in Moses' shoes. How many times would I have lost control? How many times would I have raised my voice in vehemence and anger? How many times that we may have even agreed and said, oh Lord, smite them. I will even help you do it because of the anger. You see, like we read in yesterday's devotion, Everybody who professes godliness has a solemn duty upon them to control their spirits. May the Lord help us to control our spirits that we may not do a wrong act that we cannot undo. Aaron finally died. As they saw Moses and Eleazar coming down from the mountain, somebody was missing. And the Israelites asked, where is Aaron? Yeah, they knew very well what they went up for. And they told them, Aaron is dead. And now they started to weep. The next on the line was Moses himself. He remained for a while. And he led the children of Israel to the borders of Canaan. But was not going to enter. And the Lord called upon him and told him it was time for him to die. Moses then proceeded to give the children of Israel his final words. These final words you can find in the book called Deuteronomy. The book you read read, called Deuteronomy is the last speech of Moses where he recounted all their journey from Egypt to where they were presently and he announced to them that he was going to the mountain Mount Pisgah to die and he was not going to join them into Canaan and he exhorted them over and over again to keep the commandments of God and not to misbehave and to do right and to do justice and to follow the Lord till the end. He reminded them of everything. That book, Deuteronomy, is a powerful book. Of all the books of Moses, that is the one that we hear Jesus quoting from. Of course, with Genesis also, he quoted from Deuteronomy three times. The time when Satan came to tempt him. The three time, the three past Bible passages that um, Jesus quoted to repel and resist Satan were all from this book. Deuteronomy from the last words of Moses. Inspired words they were and that's why we have them as part of inspiration, part of the scriptures, the word of God. As Moses was speaking, what he was speaking was the word of God. Though he was a man it was he who was speaking that day but it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in one of the things that Moses said, he prophesied to them something concerning himself. In Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, Moses said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me unto him you shall hearken here he was referring to none other than our lord jesus christ and that is why we know when we say that moses is a type of christ if there's anyone who is more of a type of christ in the bible than any other person it is this man moses he did the same thing in a little form that jesus is doing for us today he is the one who the lord used to lead the children of israel into canaan though the lord's plan was twatted because of the sin of moses jesus's plan was, jesus's work was not twatted he saw us through till the end moses pointed to the man the messiah that will come and said he is a prophet like unto me that the lord will raise him up and that we are to hear him and jesus himself when he was in his ministry spoke of moses today people look at these books especially i would say maybe deuteronomy and they look at these books and say are we supposed to follow all these things that moses said they look at the books of moses in contempt looking at them as things that cannot fly today things that cannot be practiced but hear the words of the jesus that you claim to follow jesus said in john 5 verse 43 to 47 i am come in my father's name and you receive me not if another shall come in his own name he will you receive how can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from god only do not think that i will accuse you to the father there is one that accuseth you even moses in whom you trust for had you believed moses you would have believed me for he wrote of me but if you believe not his writings how shall you believe my words i hope that that this question rings in the ear of both the jew and the christian the some christians will say oh we're not following the old testament especially the first five books of moses and then some jews will say oh we're not following the new testament we only follow moses jesus is talking to all of us telling us all of you you claim to believe in jesus You cannot reject Moses. Those who claim to believe in Moses, you cannot reject Jesus because two of them have the same testimony. Moses said, A prophet like unto me will the Lord raise unto him you shall hearken. He is that man we call Jesus. And Jesus testified of Moses and Moses testified of Jesus. And that was part of the last words he spoke before he went to die. Deuteronomy 34, reading from verse 1 down to verse 4, now tells us of the account of Moses going to die it says and Moses after he had this is after he had finished giving his last speech while he gave that speech it was a very sober and emotional one but then when he was true something happened the Lord told him these people they are going to rebel nevertheless they are not going to make it they will enter Cana but eventually it it won't work out Moses was filled with sorrow and sadness as he looked at his people, knowing that they were still going to rebel. Then, in Deuteronomy 34, reading from verse 1, it says, And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nabal to the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, unto the utmost sea, and the south, and the plain. Of the and the plain of the valley of jericho the city of palm trees unto zoah and the lord said unto him this is the land which i swear unto Abraham and unto isaac and unto jacob saying i will give it unto thy seed i have caused thee to see it with thine eyes but thou shalt not go over thither behold the mercy of the lord god does not function by emotions were the lord to function by emotions he would have been feeling bad that moses cannot make it This is trusted servant that he cannot make it but the best the Lord could do was to tell him come and see the land and he showed him the land and said boy you can't enter don't think nobody should cherish the thought in the mind that the Lord was doing these things in great pleasure because he was angry with Moses I'm not going to allow you enter the land no the Lord does things reasonably he sees the end from the beginning and he does what is best for everyone The Lord knew that were he to allow Moses to enter without punishing him, it was going to cause a great evil in Israel. And he had to do the dirty job that many people don't like to do. The Lord had to do the work that many people don't like to do to make decisions against how you feel. To make decisions that are not emotional. To make decisions that are clearly for the good of everybody. It was both for the good of Moses for the good of the children of Israel that Moses should not enter Canaan so that it can create enough peace in the mind of the children of Israel. And other lessons that God was trying to teach the children of Israel was this, that he speaks through his blessings bestowed and his blessings removed. The removing of Moses and stopping him from entering Canaan was for the good of Israel mostly. I read now from the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 470, paragraph 1 and 2. It says, as the people gazed upon the aged man, So soon to be taken from them. They recalled with a new and deeper appreciation his parental tenderness, his wise counsels and his untiring labors. How often when their sins had invited the just judgments of God, the prayers of Moses had prevailed with him to spare them. Their grief was heightened by remorse. They bitterly remembered that their own perversity had provoked Moses to the sin for which he must die. The removal of their beloved leader would be a far stronger rebuke to Israel than any which they could have received had his life and mission been continued. God would lead them to feel that they were not to make the life of their future leader as trying as they had made that of Moses. God speaks to his people in blessings bestowed. And when these are not appreciated, he speaks to them in blessings removed, that they may be led to see their sins and return to him with all their heart. End of quote. It is usually said, people never get their flowers while they can still smell them. You never know what you have until you lose them. Let us appreciate those who love and care for us today. If tomorrow never comes, we we can know that we don't have to live in the guilt of being a part of those who brought them to their early grave as Israel did to Moses. Let us now, in the time when those who love us are living, appreciate them. Not when they die and you start to buy flowers and do do heavy burials for them, but when they live, you mock and ridicule and, and, and make their life to be a living hell. Israel made Moses' life a living hell and to teach them a lesson when he sinned, because of them he sinned, the Lord took him away from them and now they were feeling guilty, now they were feeling remorse now they see that their leader is going and they are feeling, they are feeling his absence their lives now, they feel unprotected they feel that they are losing something that they can never get all the knowledge is going into the grave, all his counsel is going into the grave with him all his instruction, all his tenderness, all his love is going with him to the grave and now they are missing him already. The lesson for us is as I have said, when people love us and they do what they can for us in rebukes, in corrections, in counsels, in advice, do not look at them as people that are against your prosperity and progress. When they are correcting you concerning the lifestyle you are living, concerning your rebellion, do not look at them as people who are trying to be an obstacle to your progress as Israel was looking at Moses. Because when they go, the blessings that were with them will go with them. Moses absence was keenly felt by the people and make no mistake it was going to have its effect on them and they they did have its effect. There's no way if Moses was around with them that certain of of the mistakes they made would have been made. Because Moses was no longer around we know that they they must have felt it. The Lord was still with them of course but how much were they inclined to follow the Lord by themselves? How much were they inclined to follow the Lord? They were not. They were not so much, it's Moses who was always encouraging them and leading them. He was the one standing between God and themselves, always interceding for their sakes. Now the intercessor is gone. They are all by themselves. Nowhere do we hear later after the going after the death of Moses, someone pleading for Israel to the point the Lord does not destroy them for that person's sake. Moses' absence was felt. It was very, very, very felt. That is the lesson. I appreciate those who love you. And finally it came to be the time for Moses to die reading from Deuteronomy 34 from verse 5 it says so Moses the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord and he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor but no man knoweth of his sepulchre unto this day and Moses was an hundred and twenty years old when he died his eye was not dim nor his natural force abated and the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the Spirit of God. For Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 10. And there arose not a prophet, since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, in all the signs and wonders, which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and in all that mighty hand and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel." One thing we can learn again from Moses' life ever since the envy of Miriam and Aaron and the subsequent punishment on Miriam, Aaron had stood closely by his brother's side Moses didn't feel so betrayed that he would never work with Aaron again. He still gave Aaron a chance. They both were together when Israel rebelled and refused to go into Canaan. They both were together when Korah and his cohorts wanted to cause an insurrection in Israel. They had learned to walk side by side. Aaron did not again suspect or envy Moses and Moses did not sideline Aaron as unfit to work with because of his betrayal twice. Now, when Aaron was gone, if you can just put yourself in Moses' shoes, do you know the void that you will feel in the absence of someone who you have worked with for 40 good years, side by side? How will Moses feel? I can just imagine myself in that situation. I have felt it before when I have worked with somebody for so long, just a few months or even years, maybe even just one year or two years and the person wants to leave and you are feeling like, man, how how can I continue? But Moses Continued to work for the Lord. When we lose our loved ones and close companions or colleagues, it usually is a painful experience. The Lord knows all about it. Moses felt keenly the passing of his brother Aaron more than the people felt it. But the soldier of God must press on strongly. Forty years is a long time for people to work together and get so attached. But Moses knows that the Lord will be his strength. That which from the beginning he failed to do when the Lord called him and he said oh I need help and God sent Aaron to him. Now he was alone without Aaron. He now had to trust in God alone and do the work. We are to learn a lesson from here. Moses could easily have gone down in sorrow and despair but he didn't. He pressed on and trusted in God the cause of God is to be the most dear thing to us and we are to think of it more than we think of ourselves. It is important not only to take note of what happened or what the Bible said concerning the death of Aaron but also it is important to take note of what did not happen and what the Bible did not say. We don't hear the Bible saying that Moses oh, was wailing and weeping and saying no I cannot walk without Aaron. We don't hear the Bible saying that Moses was in so much despair that he couldn't walk any further. No. Moses trusted in God, after the death of Aaron, he continued to lead the children of Israel till they got to the borders of Canaan by trusting in God. Like I said, putting myself in Moses' shoes, I can easily see myself lonely and perhaps finding no joy in the work anymore. But this is where our faith needs to increase and climb up higher to the heavens, drawing even greater strength from God to do exploits for him. No man is indispensable. Only God is indispensable. It is not without Aaron you can do nothing that the Bible says but rather Jesus said without me you can do nothing the Bible does not say without your wife you can do nothing or without your husband you you can do nothing or without your close companion or colleague or friend you can do nothing it is only without Jesus that we can do nothing also the children of Israel entered Canaan without Moses they were able to enter without him by trusting in God even Moses is is not indispensable They may have felt the void also, but as far as the Lord was with them, they had nothing to fear. After the death of Moses, like the title of our devotion is, From Grave to Glory, the Lord was pleased to do a wonderful thing that had never ever been done for this person called Moses, and that is called the Resurrection in the Jude chapter 1 verse 9 we are told yet Michael the archangel when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of Moses does not bring against him a railing accusation but said the Lord rebuked you hmm Michael is disputing over the body of Moses why what is the Lord doing with a dead body of course it doesn't have anything to do with the dead the Lord said I am the Lord and the God of the living not the God of the dead so here in Jude 1 verse 9 he's being pointed to us the resurrection of Moses. Reading from Patriarchs and Prophets page 478 paragraph 2 and downward, it says, Had not the life of Moses been marred with that one sin in in failing to give God the glory of bringing water from the rock of Kadesh, he would have entered the promised land and would have been translated to heaven without seeing death. But he was not long to remain in the tomb. Christ himself, that is represented as Michael the Archangel, with the angels who had buried Moses, came down from heaven to call forth the sleeping saint. Satan had exalted at his success in causing Moses to sin against God and thus come under the dominion of death. The great adversary declared that the divine sentence, dost thou art and unto dust thou shalt return, that's in Genesis 3 verse 19, gave him possession of the dead. The power of the grave had never been broken and all who were in the tomb he claimed as his captives, that Satan claimed as his captives, never to be released from his dark prison house. For the first time, Christ was about to give life to the dead. As the Prince of Life and the Shining Ones approached the grave, Satan was alarmed for his supremacy. With his evil angels, he stood to dispute an invasion of the territory that he claimed as his own. He boasted that the servant of God had come, had become his prisoner. He declared that even Moses was not able to keep the law of God, that he had taken to himself the glory due to the Jehovah, the very sin which had caused Satan's banishment from heaven and by transgression had come under the dominion of Satan. The arch traitor reiterated the original charges that he had made against the divine government and repeated his complaints of God's injustice towards him. Christ did not stoop to enter into controversy with Satan. He might have brought against him the cruel work which his deceptions had wrought in heaven causing the ruin of a vast number of its inhabitants. He might have pointed to the falsehood told in Eden that that had led to Adam's sin and brought death upon the human race, he might have reminded Satan that it was his own work in tempting Israel to murmuring and rebellion, which had wearied the long suffering patience of their leader and in an unguarded moment had surprised him into the sin for which he had fallen under the power of death. But Christ referred all this to his father, saying, The Lord rebuked thee. Jude, verse 9. The Savior entered into no dispute with his adversary. But he then and there began his work of breaking the power of the fallen foe and bringing the dead to life. Here was an evidence that Satan could not controvert of the supremacy of the Son of God. The resurrection was forever made certain. Satan was despoiled of his prey. The righteous dead will live again. Amen. In consequence of sin, Moses had come under the power of Satan. In his own merits he was death's lawful captive but he was raised to immortal life holding his title in the name of the redeemer moses came forth from the tomb glorified and ascended with his deliverer to the city of god end of quote amen and the testimony to the resurrection of moses is seen when Jesus was on the mount of transfiguration. In Matthew seventeen, verse one to three we read there, and after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold there appeared unto him Moses and Elias, that Elijah, talking with him. Amen. Elijah we know never tasted death and Moses we know now was resurrected. This is not the spirit of Moses, this is the real Moses resurrected to eternal life and he and Elijah another man who never tasted death like just like Enoch stood with jesus and spoke with him this is a testimony also against the teaching that people who die have their spirits in heaven if that is the case why did jesus come to dispute with the body for the body of moses if moses was already in heaven what was the point in coming to his physical body and why is it only two people that we know one never tasted death and the second one we hear in the bible that his body was being disputed for Why is it these two people that appeared on the transfiguration? Why not someone else who we believe has died and his spirit is in heaven? Why not Abraham? Why not Joseph? Why not um, Adam? Why not any of the holy men in the past like even Daniel or Jeremiah? Why? Because they are dead and they know nothing. They are in the grave. The only two people we see in the transfiguration with Jesus are people who we can see very clear evidence in the Bible that they are not actually dead. They are alive. Elijah never tasted death. Moses he was resurrected and this is an important lesson for us. Moses eventually, though he was never supposed to taste death, he was supposed to be translated to heaven but yet he was resurrected from grave to glory indeed. But it is a testimony to every one of us that we can also taste that experience of grave to glory. If we are like Moses faithful in all his house, if we are like Jesus faithful in all his house, we will also taste of the resurrection. And if we die before our Lord comes, we will move from grave to glory. But then there are still other lessons to learn from here. Like I said earlier. Let us not be like those who would be buying flowers for the prophets that we used our mouths to kill. Because Jesus will say unto us like he said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 verse 29, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, you will be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which killed the prophets, Fill you up the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias and of Barachias whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation." What is Jesus referring to here? Do we have our own Moseses today? Do we have people who are pointing us to the word of God, who are trying to lead us into the right direction? That is your prophet. That is your Moses. How do you accept them? Some of us will feel like, oh, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. We sing very nice songs. All oh, that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me and the fairest of ten thousands. In the blessed Lord Lord, I see. Oh really? How do you treat those whom Jesus says that if you persecute them, you are persecuting him? Were Jesus to come to your church today and do the same work that he did? Were Moses to come to your house today and rebuke you the way he rebuked Israel? Will you receive him? But yet we want to speak of him in flowery words. It's the same thing as garnishing his tomb. We speak of Aaron in flowery words, oh nice people, speak of Jesus in the same way, we are just garnishing the tombs of these prophets, claiming that we love them, but Jesus is saying to you, I will send prophets to you also, let me see how you will treat them, with all the flowery words we speak about Jesus and Moses, how will you treat those whom the Lord sent today to do the same work that Jesus and Moses did, oh we will testify, against ourselves or for ourselves whether you would have killed Moses whether you would have killed Jesus by the way you treat those who are bringing to you the same words of Moses and the same words of Jesus some people are disgusted when Moses talked about and when I say Moses I mean the commandments of God and all the things that he wrote some people are really irritated and they are asking are you telling me I should follow these things please get out of my face I don't want to listen to you I have experienced it before some people get offended the moment you point them to Deuteronomy 20 they point them to other instructions contained in the words that God gave to Moses. They get offended, they get irritated, but yet they claim to love Moses. But those who bring to them the words of Moses are the Moses of today. And what do they do to them? They will kill them. They will smite them with their tongue. And yet, claim to be garnishing the tombs of Moses. Let us be careful yeah, that we do not do these things, and we will allow this prophecy to be fulfilled in our lives, and we will verily be the Pharisees of today. The final lesson I want us to get from this uh, devotion is concerning the burial of Moses and Aaron. The Bible says in the Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter six, verse three: "If a man begat an hundred children and live many years, so that the days of his years be many." and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. So a burial is a good thing. A good burial is a good thing. Here it says, it's good for you to have a burial. There's no more befitting burial than that which the Lord himself did for Aaron and Moses. Reading from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 427, paragraph 2. It says concerning the burial of Israel's high priest that's Aaron. The scriptures give only the simple record. There Aaron died and there he was buried, Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 6. In what striking contrast to the customs of the present day was this burial, conducted according to the express command of God. In modern times, the funeral services of a man of high position are often made the occasion of ostentatious and extravagant display. When Aaron died, one of the most illustrious men that ever lived, there were only two of his nearest friends to witness his death and to attend his burial. And that lonely grave upon Mount Hor was forever hidden from the sight of Israel. God is not honored in the great display so often made over the dead and the extravagant expense incurred in returning their bodies to the dust. End of quote. He that will have ears to hear, let him hear. Because if we understand the basic principles of Christianity, I don't need to explain this to us. All the partying and all the buying of expensive coffins and the putting it on the shoulders and the display made by men dancing with the coffin on their shoulders moving front and back and the making of so many t-shirts with people's faces on them, glorifying men, and the eh, wonderful amount of money spent in bringing the dead to the grave by going to kill animals and cook lots of food, and the revelry that is done, the partying and the music, all of that, is that in harmony with the principle of God's word? He that will have ear to hear, let him hear. That this custom, like we read, God is not honoured in the great display so often made over the dead and the extravagant expense incurred in returning their bodies to the dust. And the Lord is telling us today, we need a change in these things. Need I say any more? Weed out everything. Some people even go as far as giving honour to other gods just to put people into the ground, just to bury people. They call it rite of passage. What do you mean rite of passage? In other words, they cannot get into the grave until they have done certain things. So we need to do these things before we can put them into the ground. Which God are you worshipping? Is it the God of heaven or the gods of this earth? By your actions is what we know. Some people want to justify these things and say, Oh no, no, we are not worshipping other gods. Then who are you listening to? Who is your God? Exodus 7 verse 1 and 2, God said to Moses, I have made you a God unto Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet, thou shalt speak unto him that he let the children of Israel go. So who is your God? God said, I made Moses a God to Pharaoh, why? Because I am going to tell you, you will tell Pharaoh what to do, and whatever you tell Pharaoh to do, if he does it, then you are a God to him. Who told you the things you are doing? Was it of God? Is that how God said we should do burials? Certainly not therefore if it, is, if it is not God then who said so? some of some people's customs and the gods of the land so who is your God really? in a lot of the burials done there's a lot of idolatry attached to it based on the practices that are done in the burial a lot of idolatry is done so let us be careful let us try to make amendments in these things and just do as the burial as simple as the Lord did it there's no need for display and there are some people who i would even commend there are many people who when their loved ones die they don't wait just a few hours and they don't do any partying no eating no drinking no putting into the mortuary and all this kind of uh customs and uh ceremonies and ordinances and rituals just dig the ground and put the person there solemnly that is why the bible said it is good to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting but not when you go for this kind of burial I was once in a particular uh, state that I may not necessarily see and I was asking the children it was time for them to learn and I told them come it's time to learn they say, no I'm going for a party I said party? you're going for a party? why are you going for a party when it's time to learn? I said I have to go for the party what do you mean by party? do you know what they were calling party? burial So when the Bible says it is good to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, oh, it has changed these days because burials have changed to the house of feasting. It is no longer the house of mourning because that's what's going on there. Burials are not supposed to be places of feasting. It is supposed to be a place where we remember our own lives that this is where I'm going to go and it can work to help us to rethink our own lives and make a change. These are the lessons we can learn from this devotion remember to appreciate those who love you in giving you corrections and turning you to God remember also that if you are faithful to the Lord like Moses we will go from grave to glory and also we need to we need a reformation in the way that we do our burials and there there is also the need to understand that when the Lord chastises us if we are children of God we should take it as sons of God and not murmur. Or complain concerning what the Lord has decided to judge us with. May the Lord bless us. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, all the lessons we have learned from here, I pray please grant us of your spirit that these lessons you will give us the grace to put into practice, that the policies or principles in our lives that needs to change, you will give us the grace to accept them, strongly believe them and change in our lives. Help us Lord that we also will be faithful like these men Moses and Aaron and do your work till the end help us Lord not to bear any grudge against people who have betrayed us help us Lord to be as meek as Moses was as meek as our Lord Jesus Christ in fact and help us at the end of the day that we will be in your kingdom thank you for hearing our prayers in Jesus name I've prayed amen